42 years ago, 1971, I got out of college and Cindy and I took our first job in Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, we moved there and stayed there a year. And the preacher in Bloomington, Illinois that year had three little kids. Little bitty young elementary school kids, I think. I can't remember exactly how old they were, but pretty young. And tonight, 42 years later, all three of them are sitting right over there on the Yakeley Isle. Uh, the preacher was Flavel Yakeley, and his kids, Mark, Stephen, and Becky, are all here tonight together. So uh, it's amazing how God works things out. Meet uh, you young people. Meet more people in the kingdom, wherever you are, and whatever congregation you're involved in. It's something that will bless you the rest of your life. All right, we're working on Samuel. Faith walkers. We're talking about different characters this year on Sunday evenings, trying to learn some things about our faith walk. And this is our fourth week on Samuel. And tonight we're really not going to study Samuel or anything that he did. We're going to talk more about what he said. Uh, he gave a speech in 1 Samuel 12, and it's called a farewell speech. Seems a little weird to have a farewell speech that early in the two books of Samuel, uh, he didn't retire after this speech. He kept working. He kept uh, doing some things for God and for Saul and then later David. Uh, but this one came, 1 Samuel 12, came right after he anointed Saul king. And the reason he called a farewell speech is because he was the prophet. He was the judge of Israel. And the people of Israel said, no, we want a king. We don't, we don't want to do it the way we've been doing it. We want a king. And so he anointed Saul as king and then gave a farewell speech. He'd basically been replaced. Uh, people wanted to be led by a king, so he gave them one and stepped down in essence. Uh, so th this speech uh, is the official change from judges to the period of the kings. And uh, Samuel, of course, was the great prophet and judge and involved in so much of the history of the Old Testament that I think we can learn a few things from what he had to say to the people that day. So we're just going to study the speech. And I put in the headline, or the uh, title, uh, Samuel's Farewell Speech to Israel and His Advice for Northside. So I would look at that speech this way. Uh, not only did he tell Israel how things ought to be, uh, I think it's still pretty applicable today, a number of years later. So let's look at it, both what he told them and how we can apply it today all in one. So let's start with the speech. First five verses, it's kind of self-serving in some ways, but he reminded them of his integrity. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me, and I've set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I'm old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I've been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I've done any of these, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. 
Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. All right, so that's where Samuel starts, is I've been a trustworthy, honest leader of integrity. And he goes on to tell them about how God has helped and how they've rebelled against God and what they ought to do and all that. But this piece is kind of interesting. Uh, and the reason I think it's important for us, and not just for, for Israel, uh, but it's essential that we have honest, trustworthy leaders of integrity. Uh, true in every walk of life, but in church specifically, in churches, I'm sure any of you that have been around for very long have seen churches uh, torn apart by leadership without integrity. Okay. Uh, a church can do a lot of things wrong. Uh, a church can be pretty shaky on doctrine. Uh, they can have a really bad preacher. Uh, they can have an old rickety building and still carry on pretty good. Not, not blow up, not tear asunder. But leadership without integrity will blow it up. Uh, it just doesn't seem to be able to carry on. Uh, we see that in everything else in, in life, too. I was thinking of political things, of course. And in the last few weeks, what's been in the news is the situation in Detroit, Michigan. Everybody's already arguing about why they went bankrupt. Well, you can make your own list, and there's all sorts of reasons uh, some people say it was race, and some people say it was the auto industry, and some people say this, that, and the other. But if you look at the leadership of Detroit, almost all the ex-mayors are in jail. They had a very dishonest, corrupt leadership in Detroit. Now, the public policies may have been bad. Uh, all sorts of other things may have been wrong to contribute to it. But there's a lot of cities with bad public policy. There are a lot of cities with bad interracial problems. There are all kinds of problems in the world. But when you get bad leadership that can't be trusted, that, that robs the city, that, that lives like Samuel is saying here, have I taken anything from anybody? Well, that's what the leadership of Detroit did, is they took everything from that they could. Now, like I say, there's a lot of other contributing factors, but what tips it over the edge, not just in public policy, but in church too, is leadership without integrity. So I think that's where Paul starts, uh, and I think that's why we're given the definition of an elder that we are. It's not about the skills of an elder or anything else, it's about the character of an elder. Got to have integrity there at the top. All right. So that's how he starts. And then we're not going to read 6 through 13. But in that passage, he tells them what their problem is. He says, you just kept rebelling against God. And he'd tell them, God brought you up out of Egypt, you rebelled. God did this for you and you rebelled. God did this and you rebelled. Then we get to verse 14. And he says, here's the choice. And these are the key verses, 14 and 15. 
14, he says, if you fear the Lord, let's go back to 13. He tells them all these problems they've had, how they kept rebelling and all that. And he said, now you got a king. In other words, you're, you're entering a new phase here. You don't have a judge, you don't have a prophet, you, you got a king now. But he breaks it down to the choice, verse 14. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your fathers. So in essence, he's saying, yeah, it's different because you got a king, but it's the same old story. God did these things for you, and as long as you followed God, things went well. When you rebelled against God, things went bad. So now you got a king. Yeah, it's going to be different, but it's really not going to be different. Because if you follow God and fear him and serve him and obey him, good. Things will be good. If you don't, you rebel against him. Things are going to go bad again. So those are the two key verses. Now, uh, that's, that's basically the whole speech. He gives them some closing remarks and a few things that we're not going to spend time on. But that's the farewell speech. Is I've been an honest leader. You've, throughout history, done well when you followed God. And you got in trouble when you rebelled against him. Now you got a king. Same thing's going to be true. You follow God. Fear him, serve him, obey him. All that. Things are going to be good. Okay. So... In the message, in the speech, uh, there's at least five things that I think are worth spending a little more time on and amplifying a little bit so we can figure out what we need to do, what we ought to do. Okay, first one is verse 9. I picked 1 Samuel 12, 9, where he says, look to the Lord first. And actually he says it in the negative. He says in verse 9, the people that had been brought up out of Egypt is who he's talking about. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hands of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab, and on and on. That's the step. That's when things went downhill, was when they forget the Lord. And when they quit looking to the Lord, we look through Israel's history, they would turn to idols. Many times. Most times. They'd go into a land, they'd see some idols, they'd see the people next to them that they should have destroyed, and they didn't. And they'd get involved with the idol, and they'd turn to them, and they'd forget Jehovah. Downhill things would go. Okay, why is he telling them that here? Because of this change that's coming. They don't have a judge, they don't have a prophet anymore, they got a king. But whoever the king is, whoever the prophet is, whoever's conveying things from God, doesn't matter. you still got to follow God. So that's the way I word it is, look to the Lord first. You say, we don't have idols. We don't have any graven images that we set around and tempt us to go worship them. That seems so weird and foreign to us. But we can substitute other leadership 
for Jehovah God. Instead of looking to the Lord first, we can look to something or someone usually else. I think most common these days, within our brotherhood at least, is we, we look to a preacher. Uh, we pick a preacher that's charismatic and good speaker and an organizer and got big vision and all of that. And we say, we'll follow him. He says it's a good idea. It's a good idea. Let's, let's go that direction. Okay, well, they're good preacher leaders. <laughs> but Samuel's advice is you better keep looking to God. Better check everything you're doing against where God wants you to go. And if you do, it's going to be okay. Doesn't I'm not saying you ought to have a really bad preacher, but it doesn't really matter as much as we make it seem sometimes. What do you think the Israelites thought when God decided to get rid of Moses? He'd been the top dog for 40 years. You think they were ready for a change? You think they thought things would go just wonderfully under this young pup Joshua? I doubt if they were too keyed up about that. But God was taking care of things. Follow God. Look to him first, and everything will be all right. Uh, Sometimes we look to, I think, the tendency today is to look to a, a good business plan. Look to the numbers. Look to the books. We got to do this and make this come out, and everything will be all right here. And we got this many members; this will happen, and all that. And we can't do that because we don't have the money, and we have to pay that off, and all of that. God's plans don't always look good on the budget sheet. When when God told Abraham to move from Ur to wherever, how do you think that looked on the balance sheet? Think Abraham sat down and said, okay, let me figure this out, see if this makes sense. Forecast income? Got no idea. Housing costs in, well, I don't even know where the house is. I don't even know where the land is. He knew nothing. But that was where God was leading him. And to, to substitute a good business plan or a man's strategic plan or something for where God wants us to go sometime, we better look to God first, is what Samuel said. Tell you something else. Sometimes I think churches substitute for looking to God first. They substitute or substitute a large contributor an influential group, a bully, and let him lead. Yeah, some of you have been places like that. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes God may have a great plan. There may be great talent assembled there. There may be a great opportunity open. But old brother so-and-so or this little group says they don't like it. Well, okay, we can't do it then. I'm not saying we shouldn't hear everybody out, not listen to everybody. But if we let a person or even a group of people countermand what God says, 
How different is that from turning aside from Jehovah and say, let's go worship Baal? Not much, really. So Samuel, first point, look to the Lord first, he said. Second, now the next three are all in one verse, 12, 14. Fear the Lord, obey the Lord, and serve the Lord. First he says, fear the Lord. Now, now let's read this. In fact, verse 14, we're going to read it. Then we're going to jump down to verse 24. And in between is his closing. Verse 14, he says, If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. Verse 24, But be sure to fear the Lord. And serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. If you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. So he, he starts and finishes his conclusion here. Is, you better fear the Lord. Uh, fear, well, we've talked about this enough, we really don't need to go over it. Uh, fear is not shaking in your boots every time you mention the name Jehovah. It's an awe, it's a, a honoring, it's a respect kind of thing. And yes, there's some fear mixed in there. Uh, it doesn't mean you'd be terrified everything you th- every time you think of God. But it means if he tells you to do something, or if he's leading you somewhere... And you've been out of step with him. You better change the ways. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. And if you're reading this book, if you're hearing the things we've been talking about lately, and you hear those and you don't respond to them, you're not fearing him. I mentioned this this morning in the the sermon. We're talking about kingdom living and the Sermon on the Mount and all of that. I said I'd preach for hours trying to convince you of these things. And Jesus used 11 words in our topic this morning. It's not up to him to convince us. He's God. If he says this is the way to live your life. This is the right thing to do, and we fear God, then we do it. We shouldn't need a bunch of convincing by somebody. Uh, That he said it ought to be enough. Those of you that work in the business world, you know that different people's commands or statements or orders have different weight. Yeah, when the when the top guy says, "I want this done," it you don't need a whole lot of convincing. Well, we got to do that. So, fear the Lord is his first one. Second one is obey the Lord. Uh, probably a more literal translation is rebel. Don't rebel against his commands. When, when he gives you a command, when he gives you a direction, when he gives you leadership, follow it. Obey it. goes back to the same thing. He's God. If he says it, we ought to obey it. Remember the great story of David and the, the well down at Bethlehem? Great story. David and his men, his 
mighty men sitting up there and looking down and he sees the well that he used to drink out of when he was a kid and he says, I wish I had a drink of water out of that well. And he obviously got distracted and pretty soon he looks and his mighty men are fighting their way down there slicing through the enemy and fighting and going and fighting. They come back and they say, here's your drink. They risked their lives for it. He said, I didn't. I didn't mean I wanted you to go get it for me. I said, well, if you wanted it, that's enough. If it was on your heart. If you had a kind of a fleeting wish, that's okay, we'll do it. So that's the kind of obedience I think we ought to be thinking about here. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. We as a people, as a church, as individuals, we ought to know his voice. Now, I'll go back to our Sunday morning series because we've been in it for seven weeks now. I've got one left, but we've been hearing his voice in there. Well, how can I say that? Well, because I've been reading exactly what Jesus says. That's what we've been focusing on. We've been looking at different verses, little short verses. Here's what Jesus said. It's not a matter of me convincing you or you obeying me or anything else. Once you understand that this is Jesus' voice. Remember that one about forgiveness? That was a hard thing. But I wasn't telling you to forgive people. Jesus was. So, let me ask. Do you think everybody in this congregation that heard that sermon forgave everybody that they hadn't forgiven up to that Sunday? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. Be thrilled if that was true. But, but I doubt it. I imagine there are some people who listened to that, heard Jesus say, You've got to forgive people so I can forgive you. And they said, No, I will not do that. I might not have said it out loud. But if they didn't do what he said, that's what they said. So, so if this is advice for a church, how can we survive if there's some people that didn't follow that command, didn't obey that command? Well, I think there's a critical mass somewhere. If you get enough people rebelling against God, you're in a heap of trouble. I mean, in Israel, there were always some that honored God and some that didn't. And when it got to be a critical mass that most of the people would rather pay attention to Baal, it blew up. And then reverse worked too. There were always some that wanted God to come save them. But when it finally got to that number where God heard all of them, or a vast majority of them, then he'd answer. So, for us, the more people we can get obeying the Lord, better off we'll be. Okay. Number four is, or the third point out of that verse is serve the Lord. You know, uh, we're talking about a king here. 
the king of kings, the lord of lords. Servants and kings kind of go together, don't they? You know, we, we don't think about servants much these days because we don't have kings. And most of us are not rich enough to have servants, so we don't think much about servants. But servants and kings go together. Can you think, I mean, how, this is a really ridiculous thought to even think. Think of a servant not serving. A servant in a household or in, in uh, <laughs> whoever's serving late Princess Kate over there right now. Can you think of a servant not serving? No, I don't want to do anything. I'm not, I don't want to get involved. <laughs> That's preposterous, isn't it? Well, if you think we're all servants of the king, you'd think all of us would be serving some way. And maybe, maybe we are. Maybe the majority of us are. We've got a lot of servants around here. I know that. We've got a whole lot of people that do a whole lot of serving. That's what makes Northside who we are. But that ought to be the standard. Everybody ought to serve. Okay. Last point, number five. Samuel said, consider the Lord's blessings. Go down to verse 24. Be sure to fear the Lord. Serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Now, I don't think he's saying there that if you serve him and fear him and obey him, then you'll get these blessings. Then you'll get these good things. I think that's the wrong motivation for us to fear and serve and obey for the blessings. But I think it's a good idea if we're going to be successful in this as a church, as a family, as individuals, if we take time to consider the things he's done for us. If the Israelites would have looked back occasionally at how he got them out of Egypt and all of that, they, they forgot that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good idea. I mean, we sing the song, Count Your Blessings. Uh, we, some of us may practice that more than others. But that's a good thing to do if you get tired of serving. And some people get tired of serving. I get tired of some service. And I've done this, that thing or whatever it is for, for years and years and decades and decades. And sometimes I get a little tired of it. And what helps me get out of that? Well, considering what God's doing. Looking at his blessings. Look at the way, uh, when I was writing this point down this week, I looked over on my desk and saw this letter, and I said, that's a pretty good illustration of that. I wasn't particularly tired of Know Your Bible this week, but I get tired of it sometimes. Well, we've been doing it for 27 years. Uh, Answering the questions and scheduling the dates and going to tape and all. I get a little tired of it sometimes. I got this letter this week. From a guy in Springfield, four pages, or actually six pages, I think. Handwritten, solid writing. Guy's 72 years old. And he wrote this huge letter to tell me about three things that he's got a problem with. 
He doesn't believe acapella music is necessary. He's got another problem with a couple of doctrinal points. But anyhow, so he wrote this huge letter. But the first part of it about instrumental music is he said he watched the program and he watched it for years and all that. Well, he finally went to visit the Church of Christ there in Springfield. He went to a small one, about 50 member or so. He said he went and he asked the preacher. He called him the pastor. He said, I asked the pastor about this. Why you believe that? And he invited me to come study with him. He said, so I went and we studied for two hours. And the guy didn't convince him. <laughs> you know, he still thinks we're crazy for having a cappella music. Yeah. And he's got all, all the standard arguments and all that. But he was very complimentary about the preacher there and all that. And so I thought, well, that's really interesting. So I decided I'd write a letter and include a copy of this to that preacher in Springfield and tell him thank you for working with this guy and all that. And so I Googled the preacher's name down there to see where to send it and all that. I couldn't quite find an address. So I Googled it, and I came up with this bulletin article from Watermill Church of Christ down there that had this preacher's name in it. And I'd never seen this or heard of it, but Bill uh, down there in Watermill was saying that this preacher delivered a certificate to a Know Your Bible student and studied with her and baptized her. November of 2011. Okay. I'd never heard that. I didn't know that. People don't communicate that stuff to us usually. We find out kind of by accident. But I hope you get the point I'm making. Okay. Before I got this letter, it was kind of easy to sit there and be tired and know your Bible. Okay. After you read this and see what God is doing way beyond what I got any idea about, it's a little easier to keep fearing and serving and obeying and, and doing what we're supposed to do. God's doing stuff we can't even imagine. So that's what Samuel told him. He said, be sure you fear him and all that, but look at what he's done for you. Look at the ways he's blessed you. What if we decided to list the ways God has blessed us? What if we just started with Northside, the congregation? Started with people who have been here the longest and let them start making a list. And when we got through, everybody started on families. Come up and tell us how God has blessed your family. Got done with that? Individuals. Come tell us how God has blessed you personally. How long do you think we'd be here? Well, 7 o'clock because you'd all leave at 7, I know, but... If, <laughs> for somehow you could stay, have some food catered in or something, we'd be here all next month, couldn't we? We couldn't count them all. Yeah, that's what Samuel said. Yeah, fear, serve, and obey and all that, but take time to consider the Lord's blessings. All right, I hope Samuel's farewell speech has helped a little bit, understand some things about faith walking. I don't know what lies ahead for Northside. A lot of the things we were talking about tonight are apply to changes and personnel and policies and everything else and programs. I don't know what lies ahead, what kind of trials and blessings we get coming. Uh, I have no idea. But I do know this, if I could quote Samuel for just a minute. 
follow the Lord God, good. That's what he said. Follow the Lord God, good. Don't, going to be in trouble. So I do know that much. Lesson is yours. If you're here this evening and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we're going to invite you to come. If you need anything else, we'll be at the front. Let's stand and sing.